NYC is one of the most incredible events in the Church of the Nazarene that happens every four or five years. And um, I'm thrilled that um, Pastor Kyle is leading our Central California district. And uh, we have a group of uh, teenagers that are going from our church. And it's still not too late. If, you have a, if you're a teenager and you still haven't signed up, you need to see Pastor Kyle. It truly is a life-transforming day. And uh, week, really. It's Tampa Bay, Florida, 2023. It's going to be hot, but it's hot here anyways. But it's going to be an awesome time in the Lord. And uh, we want to help our youth able to go on that trip. It's about $2,000 for each person to go. That covers all of their airfare, their travel, their food, the conference itself. It really is the best $2,000 investment you can make in a teenager. And uh, one of the things that we want to do as a church is help our teens to go. Amen? And so we have an event coming up um, on September 18th. It's uh, going to be a fundraising event right after church on the 18th. We're going to have an all-church meal together. All right? So it's going to be tacos and Mexican food. We're selling tickets for $10 for an adult and $5 for kids. And all of those proceeds go directly to help our kids go to NYC in 2023. And then we're also having a, an auction out. If you've got items such as you own a business, you have a service, you have something that you could donate to this event that we could auction away, that we could raise some dollars to bless our, our youth and our adults that are going on this trip, that would be really, really awesome. You're going to see Pastor Kyle and his t teenagers will be right outside in the, in the gathering place out there at a table. Make sure you go pick up a, t uh, a, a ticket and, um, and be a part of that and let them know if there's something you can donate, all right? So praise God, amen. Are teens staying with us today or are you guys taking off? You're going. Hey, give all of our youth a round of applause as they go to their Bible study this morning. God bless you guys. Amen. Amen. Great to have you. Joshua Chambers, great to have your mom and dad here. God bless you guys. All the way from the east. I just love it when people come west once in a while, you know. Thank you so much for um, investing in that incredible young man sitting next to you. Kaylee um, and Josh are, um, Kaylee's our children's pastor, and Josh has been working and serving in our facilities team. And uh, pray for him, because he's looking for a real, real full-time job at some place. He's a social worker, and uh, so if you've got connections, talk to I told him I'd really rather him just stick around, because I like to see his face every day. So... It's great to be here. Um, welcome to church. It's good to be back in the house. We had a wonderful time in North Carolina. Had a great time at the beach with our family. And um, I was supposed to be here last week, but I wasn't feeling well. So Pastor Brent just did a phenomenal job preaching God's word. So thank you, Pastor Brent, and your ministry to us. So let's get started this morning. We want to take some time for some communion at the, end of the, at the end of our message today. We are in Romans chapter 12 today, Romans chapter 12, and we are, we are in um, verse number 1 and 2. That thing is crooked or something. Is that the way it's supposed to be, Alan? 
I guess so. All right. And uh, so let's read our scripture today. Would you stand with me? And um, how many of you have memorized, if you have memorized Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, somewhere in your spiritual journey, would you just slip up your hand and let me know if you've memorized this scripture at some point? Look at that. There's, this, there's a, quite a few of you. I would tell you, you know, there are certain verses in the Bible that I think you should know by heart. You should know them by heart. These are, these, they're, they're, they're so foundational, life transformational that, that, that you should know them by heart. Obviously, John 3.16 is probably a popular one. You know, Romans 3.21 is probably another one. But uh, Romans, I mean, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is one that I memorized when I first became a Christian. When I became a Christian, they gave me a Bible. You know what they also gave me? They gave me a packet of cards that had memory verses on them. And, um, and, and we used to do drills in our youth ministry, and we would, we would memorize Scripture. And this is one of them that I memorized. So let's say it together. On the count of three, we're going to read it out loud this morning. Ready? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 from the screen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Lord, we need to hear from you. Would you just speak would you penetrate our hearts and minds, and would you help us to hear what you would have to say to us today in Jesus' name? And all of God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Hey, thank you so much. Um, and so, so today, as we begin um, this series, we are, this, is the, this is the 18th message in the book of Romans. And um, we, are, we are marching to the end of the book, and, and the plan is that we are going to be finished with the book of Romans by the time we start Advent this year, amen? So we've got uh, quite a few messages in chapter 12. We've got four messages in chapter 12. We've got two messages in chapter 13. We've got three messages in chapter 14. We've got two messages in chapter 15, and we've got one message in chapter 16, all right? So that's where we're going from now till Christmas. It's going to be an awesome time. I, I really want you to, to, to dive into these last, the last few messages here in Romans because Romans is a book that, you know, Paul has been, has been given us like a, like a theological thesis. It's like a, it's like an incredible book that helps us to understand what it means to be Christian. And he's talked about what it means. And remember, all the way back in Romans chapter 1, verse number 17 was our theme verse. He said, the righteousness of God has been revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, for the righteous will live by faith. And Paul declared that this righteousness was not something you would do. It was something you would receive through Jesus Christ. God was going to do something for you that you could not do on your own. 
And, and so Paul begins to clearly explain that to us in chapters 1 all the way through chapter 8 and then for chapters 9, 10, and 11. He goes into talking about Israel and the Jewish people and how they fit in all, into all that and how the Gentiles fit into all that. Pastor Brent did a wonderful job talking about being grafted in last week and that's awesome. And so we talked about this faith, this faith that we have. And the Christian life is not just about, it's about belief. Leaving, the Christian life is really about living. It's about living. It's about living a new life, living a new way, living a new. And so Paul in chapter 12, all the way through chapter 15, he's going to give you the most practical life application teachings that he could possibly give to you. And that's why these, these chapters are so important. Actually, when you get through 9, 10, 11, and I, Pastor Brent challenged you to sit down and read those three chapters all in one setting. After reading that in one setting, you were like, whoa, what is that? But finally in chapter 12, it gets really clear and very direct. And so we're going to just look at two verses this morning, and these two verses will help us to really begin to understand how we are supposed to live like Christians. Based upon what God has done for us, how are you to live? And this is what Paul wants to drive home in your life, is this whole idea of living. He begins this section with one of what I call the hinges. There are actually four hinges in the book of Romans. They are, they are found wherever there is the word therefore. Every one of us has a therefore in our life. You have something before, and as a result of something before, you have something that is in your future. And Paul uses these hinge words of therefore to help us to understand different sections of his teachings in the book of Romans. And there are four hinges. And I'll just kind of review them with you. First of all, in, in Romans 3.20, we find the first hinge. Therefore, there is no one to be, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight. In other words, Paul says, you're all sinners. You're all fallen. You're all separated from God. Jews, Gentiles, and everybody in between have to deal with the issue of sin. And Paul described to us in the verse three chapters of Romans, he said, there is bad news, and the bad news is you deserve death. You deserve separation from God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness and wickedness in our day and time. And he ends that section of talking about the bad news with a therefore. Therefore, no one is righteous. Even if you grew up in church, you didn't grow up righteous. If you grew up with a, with a great mom and dad, you didn't grow up righteous. All of us are sinners. And that was the first one. And then he moves into what is called the good news. And the good news begins in chapter 4 where he talks about it. And so in chapter 4 he goes on to describe this faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And then he says in chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's the second hinge. It's what God has done for you on the cross that justifies you. That makes you right as you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are justified in us. In other words, you were guilty, but now he declares you innocent. He gives you a free 
pardon, a free gift, and you are made right before God because you have put your faith in what God has done for you. In Romans chapter 8, he introduces the idea of not only what God has done for you, but what God does in you. And he starts that section off, he hinges from justification to sanctification when he uses the word therefore again. He says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. But now he's going to introduce this whole new way that God not only has forgiven you and justified you, but he wants to do something new in your life by transforming you from the inside out. He introduces in chapter 8 the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit in your life, the work of transformation in your life in a powerful way. And then he gets to the final hinge, the final hinge. And today we begin that final hinge in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. He says, I urge you, in light of all that I have done for you, in all that I've done through your son, the Son, Jesus Christ, by sending him, by dying on a cross for you, by sending the Holy Spirit to work in your life, you have been radically changed from the inside out. <coughs> in light of that, in light of, in light of what God has done, in view, the view of God's mercy, he says, I urge you. And the word urge is, is a word of, of emphatic, you know, he's like saying, I want to kick you in the rear end. I want to boot you in the right direction. I am demanding, I am urging, I am, I am, I am pleading with you to, to live out the gospel that God has done in your life. And so now from chapter 12 all the way through chapter 15, he's going to lay out how you should live in light of what God has done, in light of the spirit of God that's in you. He's saying to you, this is how you should live. And so Paul introduces two things here in verses 1 and 2 about the Christian life. What is the Christian life really all about? Because the Christian life is not just about believing. The Christian life is about living. And here's what Paul wants to say to you. He wants you to live. And he says three things to us here. First of all, he says, you must offer your whole life to Christ in worship. You must offer your whole life to Christ in worship. I remember when I was, when my kids were younger and, and um, I, you know, we, in church sometimes or events, things like that, you know, people do little, little funny dances. And how many of you know the hokey pokey? You know the hokey pokey? Anybody want to do the hokey pokey with me? You, you, you're the, thank you. I guess there's only one, right? Um, but the, I'm not a big dancer. I, I'll be honest with you. I've got two left feet. They don't go in the right direction, you know. I was never one, even before I became a Christian, that liked to dance, you know. And then after I became a Christian, I thought dancing was all bad. And then I realized that, Joe, that David danced to the Lord and da dancing was okay to the Lord, you know. But um, even if dancing's okay, I just don't dance, 
You know, I had danced my, my daughter on our wedding day, and I was like, Christian was kind of leading me because I didn't know what I was doing out there, you know. I was just kind of standing there going in circles, you know, you know. But the hokey pokey, you know, you put your left foot in, you put your left foot out, you put your left foot in, and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey, and you turn yourself around. That's what it's now, you do that with your left, your right, your elbows. You know, you do all these different parts of your body. And the last part of the song says, you put your whole self in, you put your whole self out. You put your whole self in and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. And that's what it's all about. And that's what Paul wants to say to us. He wants you to offer your whole body your whole self to the Lord. Notice what he says. I urge you, he says, in view of God, to offer your bodies. In other words, the scripture really wants you to be clear that God doesn't just want part of you. He wants all of you. He wants every aspect of your life. When we think about offerings, so often we think about the offering plate. We think about offering our time and service. We think about offering, you know, something we own to somebody else, you know, those types of things. But God isn't interested in just tokenness. He's not interested in little tips. He's interested in you because he's given his incomplete self for you that in light of what God has done for you, he's saying, I want you to give yourself completely to me. Amen. Now, can we ever repay God for what he has done for us? Could we ever give him more than he's given to us? Absolutely not. We'll always feel like we, 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 are, we need to give more, you know. But, but the Lord wants us to come to the place where we offer ourselves our whole bodies. And literally what he means here is our bodies. He literally means our bodies. This is the, as the scripture says in, over in 1 Corinthians, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the place that God reside, resides. He doesn't reside in a building, although he's here when you're not here. He doesn't come, you know, it's not, like, it's not like God dwells in places. He actually dwells in people. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I love what Paul says here. He says, he says do, not, do you not know that your body is the temple of who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, notice what he says, Honor God with your body. <coughs> Excuse me. The more I preach, the more I want to cough. And so, so he makes it clear there that our body's there. If you go back in Romans, we already covered this verse, but in Romans chapter 6, Paul said, Do not offer the parts of your body as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. As those who have been brought from death to life, offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. So God literally wants you to take all that you are, your physical body, your mental, your emotions, your, your, your passions, your, your will, every aspect of your life. He truly wants you to offer it to him and let him 
do the work of sanctifying, cleansing, renewing, and filling to use your body as an instrument to glorify God in powerful, powerful ways. Amen? And so this idea of offering is very, very powerful. Now, what kind of sacrifice is he asking for? He says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So there are three adjectives that describe this kind of offering. Three adjectives that really describe what it means to be, to be offering yourself to the Lord. He says, first of all, he wants you to offer a living sacrifice. He's not, a, he's not interested, by the way, in you just committing suicide. It's not like you take your bodies down to an altar and say, okay, pastor, just cut my head off. I'm going to give myself up. That's not what God's interested in. He's not interested in you dying. He's interested in you living. He's interested in you dying to the old way of living and living in this new life in Jesus Christ. And so this living, he says, the sacrifice which Paul writes, doesn't demand destruction, but full of energy of life. It's positive and dynamic. I can't tell you, I remember when I was a, when I was a young believer and I, and I started to memorize this verse, I began to say, Lord, I am yours, I am yours, I am yours, Lord, I am yours. I would get up in the morning and I'd say, Lord, I am yours. Now use me as you would see fit. I'd go to high school and I would deal with all the temptations that go along with high school. And I would say, Lord, use me, use me, use me, use me. I'd go to work and I'd say, Lord, I am yours. Make me a servant as I go to work. Every ounce of my life as I am living and breathing, may it constantly be a fragrance of, of worship to Almighty God. May He be glorified in me. Now, could I just tell you, that'll change your attitude about living. That'll move you from moping and complaining and always feeling like your life stinks to living a life where you are blessed. Because you are blessed. You have the spirit of the living God in you. And he says you should live in such a way that you are a living sacrifice full of energy and dynamic life. But he then uses a second, um, a second advert. He says it is, that, that sacrifice should be holy. It should be holy, which we understand as consecrated or dedicated. It is wholly yours. It is completely yours, O oh God. It is given over entirely to God, and the believer is alone. A few weeks back when we were in chapter 8, we talked about the sanctified life, that God wants to sanctify you completely. He wants to take all of you completely for himself. The word sanctified literally means to set apart, to set apart. And so when you are entirely sanctified, you are consecrating your life. Your part is to consecrate yourself to the Lord. The God's part is to make you holy. Amen? You don't make yourself holy. God makes you holy. But your, your part is actually to dedicate yourself, consecrate yourself, let go of yourself, let go of it all. And usually what happens in our life is we come to the place where we say, Lord, you can have all of me except this. You can have all of me except this. 
And usually somewhere along the way in our journey, we hold on to one or two things that we say, God, I'm not ready to give this yet. And God says, I need you to offer it to me. I need you to give it to me. Give me your sexuality. Give me your money. Give me your time. Give me your occupation. Give me your dreams. Give me your passions. Let me sanctify them holy and right. And God does his work in us. And so, so this sacrifice needs to be living. It needs to be holy. And then he says it needs to be pleasing. That is, it is the kind of sacrifice God, ex, God accepts as satisfying his expectations, not yours. God, I want you to bless my life for what I want to do. No, 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 no. It's no longer about you. It's about him. Amen. It's about him. And so you want your life to be pleasing to the Lord. So have you done the hokey pokey lately? Have you put one thing in and one thing out and another thing in and another thing out? Have you gotten to the place where you said, I'm all in, oh God. I'm all in. Now I want to tell you something. Some of us who've walked with the Lord a long time, you are all in at one time and slowly you've creeped out. Slowly you've given up. Slowly you have taken things off the altar. Slowly you have taken things on. And it's become, it was so slight and so small, but you have found yourself creeping further and further away from total consecration to the Lord. And God says, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of what God has done for you, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. What does this living sacrifice look like? Well, he tells us. This living sacrifice, this holy sacrifice, this pleasing sacrifice that you offer to God with your entire self, he says, this is your spiritual act of worship. This is actually what worship is really all about. You know, we gather here on Sunday mornings to worship. I'm going to go do my worship. I'm going to get my worship on, you know, as the song says. But worship is much more, as, as Pastor Cedric said, than a song. It's much more than a worship service. Worship is your entire life dedicated to Almighty God. It's your entire life. It's your church life. It's your home life. It's your work life. It's your recreation life. It's every area of your life. That is what God so desires in your life. And that's why, as one writer says, true worship is nothing less than the offering of one's whole self in the course of one's concrete living, in one's inward thoughts, feelings, and aspirations, but also in one's words and deeds. That is what true worship is really all about. If you have reduced worship down to what we do here on Sunday morning, worship will become hollow. It will become repetitive. It will lack meaning and purpose in your life. But when you come to the place when you are all in and God has all of you and you worship him all week long, all week long you live your life 
When you gather together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you gather and experience and praise God for what he has done for you in your life. And that's so cool. Now, what's interesting with this whole, this whole idea of this last phrase, this is your spiritual act of verse, is that if you read several different versions of the Bible, you'll find that everybody is a little confused. Because there's really two words here that Paul uses that don't seem like they belong together. One is a word that we use for worship, and one is the word we use for reasonable Reasonable worship. And so the NIV in the 1984 version, by the way, that was the version that I got saved on and they gave me a Bible for, okay? In that version, it was this is your spiritual act of worship. What's the act? That's the living sacrifice. In the 2011 NIV version, it's, it changed slightly. They interpreted this is your true and proper worship. Okay, so you can see a slight change there. And then in the King James Version, which, which was a version before the NIV, they used to call it, which is your reasonable service. You can see that they're trying to figure out that, that Greek word that's talking about reasonableness there. And then in the, the New American Standard, it's your spiritual service of worship. So they combine spiritual and service in here. Now, what does all that mean? What Paul is trying to describe for us is an aspect of worship that I think we, we don't really embrace. In one sense, he says... He says, worship is God's saving action for us, which we cannot do for ourselves. All that takes place when Christian community gathers is God's service to us. So when we gather here on Sunday morning, and we, we, we read scripture, we sing songs, we have prayers, we, have, we, we do um, communion, all of these sacred acts of worship, what are we doing? We are gathering to celebrate what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. What he did for us in creation. What he did for us by sending his one and only son. What he did for us on the cross. What he did for us in resurrection. What he did for us by sending the Holy Spirit. And so we retell the story together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Rehearsing and reminding ourselves collectively of what God has done and continues to do in us. That's worship. Amen. And we should do that regularly in our lives. But in another sense, our response of the worship of God, our service to God takes place in the world and takes the form of service to our brothers and sisters, believers and non-believers. We go out as the church. We go out those doors. We go out, the, the, out into the parking lot. We get in our cars. We drive away. And what do we do? We don't leave God here. It's not like we stop worshiping, but out of response of what we experienced here, reminding ourselves of the heart of a, what Christianity is all about, what God has done for us, we take that spirit and now we go back out into the world and serve our brothers and sisters, both believers and non-believers. Some of you serve in this local church. You serve in children's ministry. 
You serve as ushers or greeters or worship team members or hospitality or celebrate recovery or small groups. That's a continuation of your worship. And by the way, you're going to really see this in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 next week. Because he's going to key in on this really big time. Okay? This idea of worship being service in our lives. But he goes on to say this. So Christian life, the Christian life, what's the first point? Your life is a living sacrifice. You give your whole life to the Lord as an act of worship. The second is you resist the world and renew your mind. You resist the world and renew your mind. Notice what he says. <coughs> Excuse me. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul realizes that you're now a new person in Christ, but you're living in a difficult world. You're living in a world that is not Christian. You're living in an age and a time where we are living between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, and we live in a world where there's a spiritual battle that's going on all the time. And he's calling you to be a living sacrifice in that world, and he wants to give you some specific instructions about how to live in that world. And he uses two words, the word conform and the word transformed. Conformed and transformed. He says there are some external powers that are working against you and some external powers that are working in you. Now catch that. External powers working against you and trying to conform you to the pattern of this world. And there is a power that is working in you to transform you into being the person that God wants you to be in that world. Okay? Now catch this. First of all, since the voice of both verbs, the verb conform and transform, is a passive. Now, I'd have to give you a long Greek lesson to figure that out, okay? But there is an, a present voice, a passive voice, and a passive middle voice in the Greek language, which English people don't even know. But that's another point for another time. He says, Paul's readers are not the agents ultimately responsible for either action. In other words, you're not responsible for conforming and you're not responsible for transforming. You can't, it's not like you're out there trying to conform yourself to the world. That just happens. It just happens because you live in it. And it's the world that is trying to, as one writer says, squeeze you into the world's mold. Or as Paul says here, trying to any longer to the pattern of this world. He says some unnamed external force is responsible for the pressure to conform and another force for the possibility of their transformation. Dr. William Greathouse, who is a great commentary writer, a great preacher, pastor, a general superintendent in the Church of Nazarene, and now a saint with the Lord said that. Okay? Great man of God, and loved him so much when I had a chance as a Yamad. So who are the anonymous actors? What's the anonymous forces that Paul is referring to here? He doesn't really name them, but they're implied here. The first one is the world. 
In the Phillips translation, it says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Squeeze. Now, I don't know about you, but have you figured out that the world is constantly trying to squeeze you? Squeeze you? Squeeze you? Trying to, to get you and I to conform to the way the world thinks, lives, and acts. There's probably no greater issue today around the idea of squeezing than the issue of sexuality today. I mean, think about the confusion that's happening just between gender descriptions. I mean, when I got to California and I had to fill out a form, you know, in, in other places I've lived, it always says, are you male or female? Now it's male, female, binary, unbinary, da, 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 all kinds of undeclared. And I'm like, what in the world is this? I was like confused. And so, so this whole idea of redefining what it means to be male and what, redefining what it means to be female. We are now being squeezed into the mold of the LGBTQ agenda. Which is, which is in every area of society today. You can't watch a television show, go to the movies, read a book, watch the news. You can't go to an educational institution. It's everywhere. Constantly squeezing us into a new mold of thinking. The scripture says that we are being squeezed. And it's our job through the power of the Holy Spirit, is to resist. Resist the squeezing into God's mold. The negative to this is that there is a force, the world's force that is working in all areas of your life to squeeze you not from being a Christ-like follower, but from being a worldly person living as if you don't know Christ at all. And that's happening constantly. And by the way, it will until the day you die. No matter how long you've been a Christian or how long you've lived, you are going to constantly be sque being squeezed by these forces. So that's external. This is the world we live in. But then Paul uses the opposite term, and he says transformation. And the, the agent here is the Holy Spirit. Transformation is from the inside out. Remember, conformity from the world is from the outside in. Transformation is from the inside out. And so the Holy Spirit works in your life. So instead, be progressively transformed by the constant renewing of your mind. In other words, you have to constantly be in God's word you have to be in the body of Christ and with brothers and sisters in Christ. You have to constantly be teaching and training your mind to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. As you offer him yourself, God begins to transform you and you begin to make, be able to make right choices in your life that declares God's glory. Transformation. Now, I don't have a lot of time the word transform Paul uses here is the word metamorphosis. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. The Greek word is metamorpho... I can't say that. It's the source of the English word metamorphosis. 
When we think of metamorphosis, we think of transformation on the inside. You remember the, the kid's book, um, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. How many have read this to your son or daughter? Yeah, okay. I remember reading that to Weston when he was just a baby, you know, and just a kid and our kids. You know, that was one of the books that we had. And it's all about that. It's all about the story of the caterpillar and how it transforms inside of a cocoon and all of a sudden breaks out of the cocoon and it's a beautiful butterfly. Could I just tell you? The gospel is transforming you on the inside. And when the gospel, the Holy Spirit works in you, he begins to transform you to the place where you begin to live a life differently than the rest of the world. People look at you and go, you're weird. You're strange. You're, you, you, you act differently. You, you, you march by a different drumbeat. You are no longer living like the world lives. You are living like Jesus wants you to do. He transforms you <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> from the inside out. And that's why in 2 Corinthians um, 3.18, Paul uses that word transform. This is the same word for metamorphosis here. He says, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being what? Are we are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Resist being squeezed into the mold. That's the negative. Here's the positive. Learn to let the Holy Spirit transform you every single day. And that happens as you offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And you worship. He does it daily, weekly, Yearly, and as you journey through life, you become more and more in glory like who you're supposed to be. Amen? Then he says, here's the result. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the serve, but be transformed. And notice what he says, by renewing of your mind. Now I want you to think about your mind, not just as an intellectual entity, but as the word mind in the scripture talks about your moral consciousness. The ability to make choices about right and wrong. About, about what's holy and what's unholy. What's pure. And the scripture is saying Paul uses the mind to refer to a person's moral conscience. And so as you are, as you're walking with the Lord, the Holy Spirit helps you to become more and more like Christ. You become ethically and morally like Jesus. There's conduct behind it. There's action behind it. You can't be a follower of Jesus Christ and live like the devil. God's transformed you in view of what he has done for you. God's saying, don't stay like that. I've empowered you to live a new life in Christ. And so it transforms you in a powerful way. The world's going to be fighting hard to keep you in the wrong realm. Squeezing you. Resist. Listen to the Holy Spirit within you. Renew your mind.
your moral conscience to be more and more like Jesus. And here's the result. You'll make right choices and do God's will. You'll make right choices and do God's will. Notice what he says. Then, then, what is then? In light of the fact that you've resisted the squeezing of the world's mold upon you, and you have, you have allowed the Holy Spirit to work in you to transform your life, he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen? God's will is not a mystery. It's not like you have to like, well, I wonder what God's will is. Do you know that there is more about no? I mean, most of God's will is black and white. It's right in the pages for you. There are other times in our life where we need God's will when God gives us choices and we say, okay, Lord, help me. You want to determine by testing and approving based upon being a living sacrifice, based upon your mind being renewed in Christ, based upon being in fellowship with the body of Christ. Lord, what is your will for me? And could I tell you, there's no better place to live than right in the center of God's will. No better thing. I'd rather you work in a job that may not pay as well, but if it's the center of God's will, praise God. Because our mission is not to be rich. Our mission is to glorify him. Amen? Now, if the Lord blesses you with a job that you make a lot of money, then use it for his kingdom. Be generous. And don't splurge on yourself so much you got nothing left over for those in need. Offer yourselves to the Lord. Amen. The worship team's going to come, and we're going to conclude our service by having communion together. And this is a great way for us to, to take what you've heard this morning, these two very practical verses of Scripture, and apply it to your life. And here's what I would encourage you to do. As you come forward to receive your, your bread and your cup, maybe, just maybe, today in the worship service or in the message, the Holy Spirit is pricking you. And you just got to stop at the altar and say, Lord, I need to get all in. Maybe you need to stop and say, Lord, I need wisdom to know how to think like you and to make choices like you want me to do. Lord, I am fighting a battle where the world is trying to squeeze me into its mold, and I've been, I haven't been resisting very well. Today, I've identified what the squeeze is, and I'm pushing back. I'm going to do it your way, God. Whatever it might be, God wants you to do business with him today. Amen? Worship him, and then go out and worship him out there. Stand with me, would you? Come, washers, those are going to help me. Father, thank you so much for your word today, for teaching us, Lord, reminding us of these two incredible verses about living the Christian life. I pray right now as we come around your table, the table of the Lord Jesus Christ, reminding us of what you have done for us 
that each of us would make ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. Help us, O God, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.